here. We're going to be studying a lot out of the book of Revelation this morning. So if you have your Bibles, grab them, um, write in them, dog ear the pages. We're going to sort of look um, at just this beautiful image of the kingdom that we are called to bring to earth. I'm really excited about this. So let's, uh, let's open in a word of prayer and just sort of ask the Holy Spirit to come and, and just counsel us and lead us and guide us. So Jesus... God, we trust you completely, God. Jesus, we trust that that your word leads us to freedom, God. God, we want you to be our Lord. We want to actually follow you. And we know that we can't discern spiritual truth unless your spirit comes into this place and reveals it. So God, we ask for your spirit upon each one of us in this room, God. Lord, I pray that we would just have an encounter with our living God, our Abba Father, who wants to come and speak truth and life into us, God, that each one of us in this place, God, would just be spoken to by by their loving Father. So we invite you to this place. Amen. Well, as you guys know, it's a beautiful fall season, and it's not a bad day out there. It's supposed to be raining, but this is typically the time where we would celebrate the harvest throughout the centuries and generations. It's been that time of year. And here in Lake Country, I mean, there's not much of a harvest. The greatest harvest, I guess, would be out of the wallets of tourists from Alberta each year. And so I guess we can celebrate that. Thank you, Alberta, for your tourist dollars and giving us all that we have here in Lake Country. But for the most part, it's been one of those things where this time of year there's Thanksgiving. And we've already had our Canadian Thanksgiving. The American Thanksgiving is on its way it's the time of year where we reflect on what God has sort of done. And the first Thanksgiving is absolutely fascinating. In the early 1600s, religious refugees from England arrived on the shores of the U.S. in this ship called the Mayflower. It was a great idea, except for they showed up right at the beginning of winter. They were not prepared. They were out of food. They were out of water. They had no shelter. So they had to live their first winter on the boat. And as a result of that, Nearly half of them died on that ship. They're not exactly sure what happened as far as what virus was on that ship. They think it was likely pneumonia. However, half of those pilgrims died. And when spring came along, some natives from the Wampanoag tribe showed up and decided that they need to lend some hands. So they taught them how to grow crops. They taught them how to get fish and other things out of the ocean. And they really gave the the pilgrims a chance to survive. And three years later, they had their first real harvest. And they decided they were going to invite the Wampanoag tribe over. And they had a huge celebration. Now listen to this. There were 90 people from the Wampanoag tribe that showed up. And they brought five deer of their own. And there were 53 pilgrims left. And they brought their harvest, and they celebrated. And Thanksgiving was a week long. It was a beautiful time. They would pray together. They wrestled together. They danced together. They played games together. The early Thanksgiving was this beautiful image of two people groups coming together and just enjoying each other. I mean, they wrestled. Come on. That's pretty awesome. This is a picture of the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus calls us to pray, he says, pray that his kingdom will come. And this is an image of that kingdom. I love it. Listen to this description. If you have your Bibles, go to Revelation 21. This is verses 1 to 5. This is the description. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Remember that. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Oh, we could pretty much go home right now. That is a beautiful image. But in this image, it's a non-physical description of the new kingdom. It says something totally different that to our ears here in BC in the 21st century doesn't make much sense. It says there will be no sea. For John, the author of this, the one receiving the revelation, this made a lot of sense. You see, the sea was a Jewish metaphor for separation between people. The ancient Hebrews, they did not develop a sea trade. Their coastline was rugged. The Mediterranean was absolutely fierce. All the storms came from the Mediterranean. They tried many, many times to develop a sea trade, but their ships would just get battered. They lost thousands. So the sea represented the treacherous waters between nations that separated people groups. So in the kingdom of heaven, there will be no sea. It's this beautiful picture of no separation between people groups. John would have known this well. There will be no race, just his children. Listen to this. This is in Revelation 7. It said, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Sometimes when we read scripture, especially verses that we've heard in the past, we sort of, we sort of lose the power of what is being said. John gets to see this image of a multitude nobody could count. We're talking millions upon millions of people. This sea of people as far as the eye can see. Imagine it. Imagine the buzz of the crowd. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried in a loud voice. Now this is millions upon millions of people saying this at once. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Whoa. Every nation... Every tribe, every tongue, in unity. This is the kingdom. There's no race, just the human race. I love this. We need to fight for this. And I think we get to fight for this. This is the kingdom that we get to usher onto earth. But this is so far removed from our world as you watch any sporting event, you're going to see some of the athletes not standing for the American National Anthem anymore. The reason is because they're protesting the violence that the police is doing against African-American men predominantly. There's been so many shootings. And it just reveals sort of a a heart-level prejudice, does it not? We look at the U.S. and we think, man, that's really not the way that it should be. And right now, the election, praise the Lord, we get to look at it from a distance. 
But a survey amongst evangelicals reveals some hardness of heart, a staggering support on a complete ban of refugees. A Muslim registry is very highly supported among evangelicals. And even an actual wall to further separate nations is supported by the church. And Philip Yancey wrote, what are we thinking? How have we so far lost the view of the kingdom? How have we so lost this beautiful heart that we're called to get? We in Canada also live with deep scars. One of our northern communities called Apawapiskat had 11 youth attempt suicide in one night. Now this is a small community. There's less youth in that community than in our church. Imagine if in one night in our church, 11 kids attempted suicide. It would be a huge wake-up call that there is deep hurt and something is there. What is it? Their housing is horrible. They're drinking water. There's tremendous drug and alcohol abuse. And so often we have an attitude that says, then stop using drugs. Then stop drinking so much. Get your act together. But in 2012, there was an Aboriginal people study that found the main cause of this deep hurt is actually the residential school experience. An entire generation of kids was removed from their parents, their culture, their identity. And I want you to imagine this, an entire generation removed from being parented. What happens a generation later when they have children? You've never seen parenting in your life. How are you going to do that? The generational scars that happen is uncalculable. See, here's the thing, is that it's not their fault, and they need our love, and they need our support. And globally, we live in a deeply divided world as well. When we went to Africa, we walked into a Muslim village called Garbatula, and they were absolutely terrified of us. I mean, I realize that I'm quite physically daunting, but they were terrified of us. They were freaked out. We were the first white people they ever saw, and they actually thought that Westerners were devils. They thought that Christians specifically were devils. The pastor there told me that when he became a Christian, they looked behind him to see if he had a tail. They thought we were devils. You see, they've had hundreds of stories since 9-11. Nearly one million Muslims have been killed from wars from the West. And the problem with that is that each one of these one million has a story, has friends, and has family. And the hurt for every one individual that spreads so far creates this view of the West. We went to their church and there was about 12 people in attendance and one of the girls who was a convert, she said this, she had a bold plan. She said, everyone in this village thinks that we're devils now. I have an idea. Let's invite them over for supper so they'll see that we're actually human. And I was like, what? This is the plan of the church. You see, I was blown away because I live in the West where we view the Muslim society as the source of all terror and terrorism. We view them as the devils and we're terrified of them. You see, we live in a world that has a vast metaphorical sea, don't we? Huge separation between people groups, between nations. It's perhaps more separated than ever and it's creating fear and hate 
But here's the thing is that we are bearers of absolutely the greatest hope. Listen to this. This is in Acts 17. It said, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands from one man. This is beautiful. We're all from one blood. The Human Genome Project was amazing. It revealed that we can trace our roots along the Y chromosome to a single mom and a single dad. That's amazing. It all but proves the creation narrative of Adam and Eve but it also reveals that we on this planet are all brothers and sisters. We're all from one blood, just as Acts 17 says. And listen to this. This is fascinating. We're not different races. We're the human race. And so often in the West, we become very ethnocentric. Look at any of the Jesus videos. It's a bunch of whiteies. We sort of view the world as us and then sort of everybody else. But listen to Genesis 5. In the King James Version, it says this, male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and he called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Adam actually means ready or red-faced. That's what Adam means, red-faced. You see, Adam was not white. Eve was not white. Jesus was not white. Moses was not white. Abraham, you can go down the list. They were not white. Santa Claus, he's white, but he's imaginary. He was created by Coke, not by God. You see, here's the thing is that we are all brothers and sisters on this planet, and there will be a day where there will be no more separation. This is the glorious image of the book of Revelation. I want you to imagine John. He's on Patmos Island, and he's just been boiled in hot oil. This is the Apostle John. He's laying on the floor in his prison cell, and he is infected. He's on death's door. He just saw many of his friends get murdered. Thomas got skinned alive. Mark got dragged by horses. Peter got hung upside down. And here is John thinking, I hate them. Look what they did to Jesus. Yeah, he saw the glorious resurrection of Jesus, but he also saw them spit on Jesus. He was close to Jesus. It says that he asked Jesus a question then rested up against him. The King James Version said he put his head on Jesus' bosom. They cuddled. <laughs> they were tight. John and Jesus were very close, and he saw what they did to Jesus. He's now hearing what Saul is doing to people, dragging them into the streets and stoning them. There was a lot of hate in that time. Us versus them. The Romans are trying to stop this newfound faith, this way that it was called. And John needed hope. He was probably so full of hate. And Jesus walks into his prison cell and shows him an image that changes everything and gives him complete hope. And hope is so powerful. A researcher did a study on hope. What he did is he took a big um, container with high sides and full of water, and he threw rats in this container to see how long they could swim for. They found that rats can swim for approximately 15 minutes before they drown. Not a very good study, is it? 
But what he did with the second group of rats is that right before the 15-minute mark, right before they went under the water, he took the rats out of the water, he dried them off, he fed them, and then he put them back into the water. He found that the second group of rats then swam for 60 hours. 60 hours. The difference is hope. There's a chance I might get rescued. There's a chance that there's a hand from heaven going to come and pluck me out. And it changed everything from 15 minutes to 60 hours. Hope is incredibly powerful. So John is about to see what Stephen saw. Stephen, the first martyr, is being stoned to death for his faith. Imagine angry men throwing rocks at you because of who you are and what you believe. Not, not because you did anything wrong but because of your religion. And so they're throwing rocks at Stephen until he dies. Stephen gets to see an image of Jesus on the throne. And what happens? His face shines. And he suddenly has the very heart of Christ and says, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. Do you see the hope Stephen gets from an image? John on Patmos is about to see the exact same image. Listen to this. This is Revelation 4. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, now remember that, 24 elders, fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns down at the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Listen to this. What I'm going to tell you is about to blow your mind. This is what John saw. This is what Stephen saw. And they were both filled with incredible hope. And that is because you are there. That is you. You are the 24 elders. You see, here's the thing is that the throne exists outside of time. It exists before time. It exists during our time now. And it exists after our time in eternity. So the future is also the present in the throne room. Does that make sense? (laughs) Okay. In Revelation 1, it says that he's made us to be a kingdom of priests and elders. When the veil was torn, when Jesus died, it says we're a kingdom of priests and the priesthood of all believers. And in Revelation 19, the marriage feast of the Lamb, the saints are dressed in white and are wearing crowns. You see, we have crowns because we rule and reign with him. And so that's why we lay down our crowns. It also says that there are 24 thrones around the throne. Now this is important because in apocalyptic literature, 24 represents the whole body. The number 24 means everyone. That means all of us. Jesus told the 12 apostles that this would happen. This is Luke 22. It says, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Listen, you will be there. That is your future, and it's also your present, and it changes everything. So to John, who is 
an infected mess on that floor of that prison, afraid, tired, and angry, but now he sees his future, and in his future, he is worshiping with every nation, tongue, tribe, and people, and there is no sea. And here's the thing, and because Jesus told us to pray for that kingdom, it's obviously possible. He wouldn't ever tell us to contend for something that he doesn't think we can usher in as the church. Here's the thing is that we're told to pray for our enemies. And this is what we do when we pray for enemies is that we invite the kingdom into our hate. There was this girl that came on the ark and the first night she was just bawling her eyes out after our campfire session. And I talked to her and she said, I'm horrible. I hate my mom. I actually hate her. So then I said, this is what we need to do. We need to both pray for her every single morning and every night. Here's the thing, is that it's impossible to hate someone and simultaneously pray for them. Whenever you invite light into darkness, it's not even close. Darkness is so inferior to light. When you wake up in the morning and turn the lights on to the bathroom, it's not like there's an epic struggle for that room. It's done in an instant. You invite the kingdom into your hate, it's over. At the end of the week, she came up to me and she said, how did you know that would work? <laughs> and I said, well, I mean, I guess because that's what scripture says. <laughs> These are the words of Jesus. You see this? Is that the fruit of his spirit is love. And since we know that he considers us all one people, his love makes us love all people. Do you get that? When we're filled with the fruit of the Spirit, if it's his Spirit, it will give us love for all people. Every nation, every tribe, every sexual orientation, it will give us love for all people because that is who he contends for. Jesus says, love your enemies. Oh, and here's the beautiful thing, is that Stephen gets to see this image. John gets to see this image. And there is so much hope. And for this, there's a special word that sums up the sheer joy of it all. There's a word reserved for this moment, and this word will surprise you. There's a very powerful tool when we translate scripture, and it's called the law of first mention. When a word or a phrase is first mentioned, it's meant to highlight that, and it actually then defines that word. For example, the word passion actually means from the cross. It's a word reserved for the love from the cross. There's a word reserved for this moment, and it's going to shock you what that word is. The word is actually hallelujah. It's first mentioned in the New Testament here. This is the first time it's used. Hallelujah, meaning praise. Yah, meaning Yahweh, God, Lord. Praise the Lord. Listen to this. This is Revelation 19. If you have your Bibles, take it out for this. Mark it up. Never forget the significance of the word hallelujah. As we praise, as we worship, as we're at home listening to worship music and we hear the word hallelujah, it's pointing to this kingdom with no sea and separation. Here's where it is. Revelation 19, verse 1. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, 
Here's that multitude again, millions upon millions. Every nation, tongue, and tribe shouting. It says they're shouting. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments, who has condemned the great prostitute, who corrupted the earth by her adulteries, and avenged her blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders, that's you, and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne and they cried, amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. You have to understand the most powerful thing that they knew of was thunder. There were no jet engines. There were no sound systems. The most powerful noise that they knew of was thunder. So when John said what sounded like rushing waters and loud peals of thunder, this is a thunderous, mind-blowing, shouting hallelujah. Oh. You see, I want that kingdom now. And we get to usher that kingdom now as the church. This is what Jesus told us to pray for. We get to do this. There's a lady named Heidi who adopts hundreds of orphans in Africa, and she's known as a spiritual heavyweight. They say that she heals people daily, and there's deliverances daily. And so, a witch doctor shows up to her door with his wife because they want to kill her because her reputation is so much higher than his in this village. They show up to kill her. She opens the door and there he is. They say that he is hideous. His eyes are bloodshot. He's sharpened his teeth jagged and his wife behind him is just shouting, just absolute def defaming everything and just the grossest language, and they both had two enormous snakes that they were going to come and kill her with. Heidi looks at the witch doctor right in the eyes, and she says, come here. You look so tired. And she goes and embraces the man, and the man starts crying in her arms, this witch doctor who's come to kill her. And then she says to him, Go behind the house and get two shovels. We're going to kill those snakes and bury them. <laughs> and that's exactly what they did. They killed them. They buried them. They prayed together on those front steps, and both of them received Christ. You see, here's the thing, is that she saw a brother and she saw a sister. She never saw a witch doctor and somebody from another race. You see, you were created for this. Every single follower of Christ has been given the Holy Spirit. And here's a beautiful thing. The scripture says that when we are filled with the Spirit, we prophesy. Now that, that's a word with a lot of baggage, isn't it? In the Old Testament, God used his prophets to speak for him, and that became scripture. Well, in the New Testament, the canon is closed. And prophecy is very different. 
First Corinthians 14.3 says, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. You see, when we prophesy now, we're revealing the heart of God for his children. We're speaking identity into them. Heidi saw a brother and a sister from one blood. And she spoke identity into them. They were tired and wounded. When we were in Portland with our junior high kids, we, we would pray together, and then we would go and we would hit the streets, and we would just simply pray for people. We would just speak life and identity into them. It's, it's, it's prophetic prayer. It's so simple. It's just the heart of God for them. We were sitting with these two really great African-American guys. One was a was a, an ex-boxing um, instructor for some of the heavy, heavy metal greats. Um, this guy was telling us these stories, and after a while, the kids were like, can we pray for you? And we just spent probably an hour praying for these guys. And the kids were just saying beautiful words from the very heart of God to these guys. And, and as I looked, we were surrounded by Portlanders. And they were taking our pictures. And one lady came up to me, and she said, this is so rare. This is so beautiful. And I, I'm thinking to myself, this is what it looks like to be the church. We're all one blood. We're all one people. These are the very children of God. And as we prayed for them, there was just so much beauty and forgiveness in that place. Here's the thing, is that we as parents need to prophesy to our kids, which simply means strengthen, encourage, and build up. Speak true identity into them. As kids, we need to speak these words to our parents. I've started doing this to my parents, and I'll tell you what, it starts kind of weird <laughs> to just be building up my parents every chance that I could get, every email, every conversation. We need to be doing this to our neighbors. When we see them, we need to see their humanity, and just simply in our prayer time, just ask God, God, what do you see that's beautiful about that guy? Who, are, who did you create them to be? We need to start doing this to our coworkers, just speaking life and identity. You see, we need to start doing this to our aboriginal communities, don't we? Blessing, speaking life into them, into other nations, people in different churches, people with different religious beliefs. This is how we bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, this kingdom with no separation. This is how we're actually going to be able to recreate the original Thanksgiving story. One, where two people groups were praying together. Two people groups are wrestling and playing games and feasting together. This is the beautiful kingdom of heaven. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to do this. To just simply start praying for either a person that you hate or dislike, or a people group. Somebody that you've just viewed as other. Somebody that you've, you've created a sea in your own heart and just said they're different. Just start praying for them. Start this morning and continue it. I'll tell you what, prayer and hate cannot coexist. And the second thing I'm going to invite you to do is just to speak life into everyone around you. This is the church. I believe that everyone that shows up here on a Sunday morning should leave here knowing greater what their true identity is and what their father thinks about them. 
and completely unhindered from the deceit of sin. Scripture says to encourage each other daily because that removes the deceit. That's exactly what the church needs to do. You see, we sin when we forget our identity. We sin when we feel unloved. We sin when we forget that we have a creator that loves us and contends for us. That's when we sin, when we stop trusting him. When we encourage each other daily, we're reminded of our identity. So let's just really lift each other up. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give us just a minute to just pray for those who we've thought of as other. And maybe God is going to bring to mind someone that you need to just start speaking life into. And then we're going to worship together. So let's just uh, pause for a minute and just pray silently just to ourselves. Jesus, God, I confess that there are many times that I view people as other. And God, I believe you just spoke to me that I even view many of our brothers and sisters and churches in the U.S., God, as, as being sometimes other, God. And I, I ask for your forgiveness. And Jesus, I pray for, for the American church. God, I pray that you would just bring such love and light into that place, God. Lord, forgive me for pride. God, I pray that you would just do a wonderful work in each one of our hearts, Lord. God, that your fruit of the spirit of just tremendous love would be our dominant character trait, Lord. That our neighbors would look at us it's just the very expression of God's love, God. You said that this is how we will be known by our love for each other. God, I pray that, that we would be a people that bridge enormous gaps here in Lake Country. God, I thank you that you give us incredible hope through your word, God. Lord, that, oh, that our future and our present, we are with a multitude shouting hallelujah from every nation and tribe and tongue. Praise the Lord. God, there will be no hate. There will be no separation. There will be no otherness. God, I pray that we, all of us in this place, God, would be just speakers of incredible life, that we would encourage each other daily, God. Lord, that we would just speak identity and to our kids, God, that they would just be so full of life. God, into our siblings, God, 
It's so easy to take them for granted. God, into our parents, into our grandparents, into our neighbors, our coworkers, our fellow students. Jesus, help us to just be bearers of the hope that is found in your word, God, and that your Holy Spirit would fill us, God, and that we would be ones that would just speak to the incredible love and hope that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. God, we just, we want to be used by you. God, we do not want to further perpetuate a differentness, God, and a hate from a Savior that loves. So Jesus, go with us, and I pray that you just fill us with just unexplainable love for each other, God, that it would just so fill us. God, now as we worship you, we just want to join with the multitude that is at this very moment singing and praising. God, we want to echo the sentiment that is in the throne at this moment. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for your guiding word. Amen.